a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And the statement that I want to make at the beginning that sort of just sets the tone for this particular message is this. God's desire for every one of His children is to feel loved, to feel secure and safe in His power. Even though everything else around us may be falling apart. So, what is the key to feeling safe and secure, living in a very uncertain world? Well, the Bible would tell us the key is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not a topic that is often preached on, but it is one of the most magnificent truths uh, that you'll find in the Bible concerning the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. So, I've I've entitled today's message, as you see, The Sealing of the Holy Spirit, Why Every Believer Can Feel Safe and Secure. Look at the very first point in your sermon notes, which gives us the reason why we need to feel safe and secure in God's love and power, and that is to follow Jesus Christ is the most dangerous mission in the world. It's important for all of us to understand that when you surrendered your life to follow Jesus Christ, whether you realized it or not at the time, you were signing up for the most dangerous mission in the world. I'm sure many of these young soldiers that have served uh, so bravely and courageously in in these last two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, probably when they signed up, uh, looking back, they know they really didn't realize what they were getting into, and that's often true with us as Christians as well. In John 16, verse 33, there in your sermon notes, Jesus said to his followers, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Now, why will the followers of Jesus suffer trials and sorrows here on earth? Well, Jesus actually answers that question in John chapter 15, the previous chapter, where in essence he says, hey, if the world hated me, if the world hated me for who I am, for what I stand for, then it's obvious that the world is going to hate all who follow me. And in Acts 14, verse 22, the Apostle Paul echoed Christ's words. He said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, do you know when Paul made that statement? It was shortly after he was stoned and dragged out of the city of Lystra and left for dead. And shortly after that horrific adversity, and why was he stoned? Simply for telling people about Jesus. You know, it's interesting that the word Jesus and Paul used for trials and tribulation is the same word in the Greek text. It's the word thalipsis. The word literally means to be broken or to be crushed. So both Jesus and Paul were driving home the hard reality that believers live in a world that will try to crush, break, and defeat us. 
Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Everyone, notice, there are no exceptions here. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, why is persecution inescapable for a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, let me give you at least three reasons. First, followers of Christ are committed to the exclusivity of Christ. Now, when I say the exclusivity of Christ, I mean that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, a person is excluded from salvation in heaven. There are not many roads to heaven. There is but one road to heaven, and that road is Jesus. Therefore, Christians will be despised and attacked for being narrow and intolerant of the beliefs of others. Second, followers of Christ are committed to the absolutes of the Bible, which provides a standard by which you can judge the society in which we live. Now, beloved, living in a society that has abandoned moral absolutes and set them aside and embraced moral relativism where virtually anything goes, Christianity imposes a threat to the existing order. Therefore, there will be those who try to eliminate it. And then third, as we read in 1 Timothy 3 verse 12, followers of Christ are committed to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. The light of our testimony brings conviction to those who are, who are living contrary to God's truth. Remember, it was Jesus that said, Men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. Therefore, we should not be surprised when the world tries to extinguish the light of Christianity, which exposes their darkness and their sin. Now, this is why we read in that next verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are in a spiritual war. And as we already noted earlier, we have enough of a military presence in our church to know that the life of a soldier is not easy and especially in times of war. A good soldier of Jesus is to expect hardship and count it a privilege to suffer for Him. Just listen a moment. You don't have to turn to it, but just listen to this sort of condensed autobiography of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 to see what he suffered as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I have received from the Jews 39 lashes. Do you know what he's referring to there? The same scourging that Jesus received prior to his crucifixion. He says, that's happened to me five times. 
He says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all of the churches. Now let me ask you a question. How could a man, just an ordinary man like you and I, a man like Paul, exposed to danger at every turn, and opposed by enemies on every side, a man who suffered hunger and sleeplessness, how could he experience all of that and yet not have a nervous breakdown or just give up? Matter of fact, how could he be so stable and so powerful in the depths of his soul that in the midst of all of that, he could carry the burden of that floundering New Testament church and write letters that would change world history. And then as an old man, dream to take the gospel to unreached areas in the world. And to make the question even more personal, how do you avoid a nervous breakdown or debilitating depression? Where do we find security living in a world that is hostile to Christianity. Well, first let me tell you where you will not find security. You will not find security in your health, or in your job, or in your money, or in your stocks, or in the United States government. It's not going to happen. You won't find security in people, including your preacher, and not even with your family. Bottom line, bottom line, it's just this simple. You will not find security in anything you can see or touch. Because if you can see it or if you can touch it, it will either corrode, break, or die. And I'll tell you something. If you not, have not figured this out yet, I have a starting revelation for you. Life on this planet is not only unstable, it's unfair. Ask those battling cancer if life is fair. Ask those abused or deserted by loved ones if life is fair. Ask those suffering injustice if life is fair. Ask those persecuted for their faith in Jesus if life is fair. But don't make the mistake of confusing life with God. The Bible, don't miss this statement right here. The Bible drives us relentlessly and lovingly back to the one and only eternal and unshakable foundation for our security, God. Now listen, beloved. Sin is nothing more than an effort to feel secure in anything other than God. Every warning in the entire Bible, every promise in the Bible has but one message. Seek 
your security in God alone. And this brings us to the next truth that you see there in your sermon notes. To provide His followers security, Christ has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. To provide His followers security, Christ has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, which are our key verses for today. It says, In Him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a review to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Let's answer now that question that you see in your notes. Well, how, how does being sealed with the Holy Spirit make Christ's followers feel safe and secure? Well, first, you need to understand, when Paul used the word sealed, he was referring to an official mark of identification that would be placed on an important document by a king or powerful person. The seal usually was uh, hot wax, wax that they would, they would melt, and then the king, using a signet ring, would impress it there upon that melted wax to seal that document. And the moment that document received the seal of the king, the document suddenly carried the full backing of the king with four guarantees. Now, folks, this is absolutely precious for you and I as believers because through the sealing of the Holy Spirit, God has given you, God has given me these four same guarantees. And here's the first one. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is proof of authenticity. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is proof of authenticity. Now, because of observing the Lord's Supper, we don't have time to get into all of these passages, but you see there in your notes Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 18. And of course, in verse 9, that's where it says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of, God, of, of Christ, he what? Does not belong to him. In other words, when the Spirit of God takes up residence in a believer's heart, that is the proof that that individual is the real deal in terms of a child of God. So the very moment a person puts his trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a seal to authenticate, hey, this is a citizen of God's kingdom. This is a member of the divine family. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. And it says in this passage, what? Bearing witness with our spirits that, that we are what? Children of God. And it also says we've been given through the Holy Spirit, that seal, the spirit of adoption, whereby we freely and confidently cry out what? Abba, Father, Daddy. You know, come to me. I need to feel your love. I need to know your power. That I might feel safe and secure. That passage also says that as a result of that Holy Spirit, our spirit becomes alive to righteousness. We're empowered by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. And then it also says 
as a result of that ministry of the Holy Spirit, we know that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us in the next life. Now look at the second guarantee that the sealing of the Holy Spirit provides the believer. It's a mark of ownership, not only proof of authenticity, but a mark of ownership. You might want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll turn there. Let me read it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 reads, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. See, the Holy Spirit's presence in a believer is God's seal, declaring the transaction of salvation is official and final, making you God's property, making you God's possession. God now is your master, is your owner. Matthew Henry, the great Bible teacher, summed it up well. He says, by the Holy Spirit, believers are sealed. That is, separated and set apart for God, and distinguished and marked as belonging to Him. I like to put it this way. Because we're God's property, nobody messes with us without messing with Him. That's the marvelous truth there. Because of that mark of ownership, because I'm His property, nobody messes with me without messing with Him. And that's true of you if you're an authentic believer. Uh, a great example of this, I, this, this reference isn't in your notes, but just jot it down. It's, it's a precious one. The latter part of Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. The latter part of that verse, we read this. He who touches you, and you is referring to God's people. He who touches God's people touches the apple of God's eye. And you know, the literal translation of apple is what? Pupil. Most sensitive part of the body. And so God is saying, no one can touch one of my children without poking me in the eye. And don't think it's not going to evoke a response. See, nothing can touch you as God's child without touching God. The world may mistreat us, but there will be a payday someday when every wrong will be avenged and all righteous suffering will be rewarded. And this world may hammer us, but God only uses it to fashion us into the likeness of Christ. And yes, this world may even kill us, but what is that to us when to die is gain? So the sealing of the Holy Spirit provides proof of authenticity. It's a mark of ownership. But third, the sealing of the Spirit is a sign of authority. A sign of authority. In other words, when, we are, when a Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit, he is delegated by God to share the gospel, backed by all the authority and power of God Himself. And folks, as I mentioned in a message earlier, when we were talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, the reason 
So many of our, so many believers never experience the full power of God is because they never obey God in taking the gospel to a lost world. Again, it's not about coming to church, it's about being the church. It's about getting outside the four walls of this church with your family members and your neighbors and those that you work with, being aggressive to initiate outreach ministries in our community, in our nation, in our world. And as we obey God, He backs us with His authority. He backs us with His power to accomplish that mission. That's what we've been called to do. And, and, and Jesus is one commander-in-chief that He's never going to send His troops into battle without the supplies they need. So I know this is an area that brings great fear and trepidation to folks. But you need to understand, if you would just step out in faith, you would see God do miracles. You know, I have always found it fascinating. You know, we tend to put the Apostle Paul on a pedestal that's just, what, just unrealistic. He was a man just like you and I, with fears and weaknesses and concerns. And I think in the book of 1 Corinthians, which y'all are studying, many of you in Sunday school, in the earlier chapters, he remembers when he initially brought the gospel to the city of Corinth. And this, the Apostle Paul, this great champion of, for, for Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, right in the middle of God's will, he said, when I came to you, I came to you in fear and trepidation. Paul said, when I began to share the gospel in the city of Corinth, I was scared. I felt afraid. I was frightened. But he didn't end that verse there. He says, yes, I came to you in fear and trepidation. But then he says, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, as I stepped out in obedience, yes, it was scary. Yes, it was frightening. But as I was obedient, God's power came behind me. And what you experienced was the power of the Holy Spirit to invade and conquer and capture your life. And that's going to be true of any believer. I mean, if you're waiting for some magical moment where all of the fear, all of the anxiety, all the awkwardness, all the uneasiness is going to take, be taken out of it, that's never going to happen. I've known the Lord for over 40 years now. I still deal with all of that when I share Christ with others, when I take that initiative. But what God is encouraging us with. He says, I've sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And so you have my backing. You have my power. You have my authority. I got your back. I'm going to watch over you. You just be obedient. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 28 says, hey, all power and authority has been given to me. All of it. And now I give it to you. Go. That's why I give it to you. To go. Not to sit in a church and to soak it in to where it's all about you and how Christianity can make you comfortable, provide you peace, provide you grace. No. He says, I'm giving you that power to go, to minister to others, to lay down your life in service for me. And then remember Acts 1.8. He says what? The Holy Spirit power comes for one express purpose, for you to be a witness. For you to extend God's presence into this world, to express His character, and to demonstrate His love to a lost world. You know, this verse is not in your notes, but this is a good one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, we 
are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That should be the life of every believer. Recognizing I'm an ambassador for Christ. And through me, He speaks to this lost world. And the message we have is what? To beg this world, be reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. His work on Calvary's cross. Look at the fourth precious, precious promise or guarantee of the sealing of the Spirit. And that is a pledge of security. A pledge of security. If you go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 14 there in your notes, up, up higher in your notes, uh, the latter part there, verse 14, it says, The Holy Spirit who is given as a, encircle that word, pledge. The Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a, review, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. That word pledge is the word erabon in the Greek text. The word literally means a down payment, a down payment given to secure a purchase. It's a down payment that is given as a pledge to secure a purchase. It's earnest money is what it is. And then a form of this word, this is absolutely beautiful, it came to be used for an engagement ring. In other words, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is God's irrevocable pledge to the church. It's the church's divine engagement ring from Christ, indicating that we are Christ's bride. And as Christ's bride, He will never neglect us. He will never forsake us. That He loves us. And He's totally committed to us. Because, folks, if Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross to purchase you and I as His bride, what would He not give us? What will He not give us if He already laid down His life for us? He's already proven His love and His care for us. So we can be confident of what? That God will finish the work that He began in us. We can real, we, that, and we can know that we will realize our destiny. And that destiny is what? To reign with Jesus Christ in an eternal romance and enjoy our, the wonderful riches of our inheritance in heaven. That is God's pledge to His child, which no circumstance, no person on this planet can alter. Our eternal destiny is sealed. It is secured for us by the Holy Spirit. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, we praise God for the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We praise God that is His child. He's given us the Holy Spirit, that spirit of promise. He, he's given us as a seal, as a pledge, so that when God looks at you and I this morning, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, He says, that's one of mine. That's a citizen of my kingdom. That's a member of my divine family. That's my property. I own them. I'm their master. I've given them authority. I'm going to have their back. I'm going to supply all they need, they need to accomplish the mission that I've given them. And then, I love them so much, I've given them that seal as an engagement ring to give them the absolute confidence that I will not forsake them. 
I will not neglect them, but I'll finish that good work that I've begun in, with them. And they will know their eternal destiny to reign and to rule with me in an eternal romance.